Welcome to the New Work Revolution podcast on NewWorkRevolution.com. Take your business leadership to the next level and join the revolution. Here's your host, Brandon Allen. All right, welcome back to the New Work Revolution podcast. This is Brandon Allen, and thank you for joining the most fantastic, number one rated show in all of iTunes. And if that sounds made up, it's because it is made up. But thank you for joining us anyway. Uh, it just sounded better than just saying, hey, this is a show that does pretty well uh, in iTunes. I don't know. That's not as sexy. It's not as exciting. But thank you for listening. So today I want to talk a little bit about when you should not have a team, which sounds really weird because a lot of what I do, a lot of what I coach on, a lot of what I talk about is in regards to team building. But there's a time where you shouldn't have a team, where having a team doesn't make sense. And let me run you through the scenario. If you are the kind of person who's always telling your team what to do and how to do it, if you're always picking up the ball and running with it when you don't like how your team is utilizing the ball, if you're the kind of person that lets people just kind of sit around and wait for the next directive to come from you before they take action, you are better off not having a team. This is someone who we would classify as a classic relegator, someone who tends to have the problem of rugged individualism, and that behavior becomes destructive and counterproductive in an organizational or business setting. So if you're a business owner of any kind, if you have one employee, if you have 10 employees, if you constantly have to tell that employee what to do, that is a failure of systems, that's a a failure of delegation, that's a lack of clarity that you're giving to your team members. And and I I think about the analogy of, of sports. I like to watch a lot of sports. I like almost every sport. I love hockey, I love baseball, I love basketball, I love football. My wife really loves the fact that I'm interested in so many different sports. She loves it. But I think about sports and it, when it comes to team. And the analogy of the coach who, in your case, if you're an owner or you're a manager or you're a leader, you're a coach of your team. That's one of your functions is to coach the team. Diagram the plays, talk about the strategy, make sure you've got the right people in the right areas to do their job, make adjustments on the fly, look at things from a 30,000-foot viewpoint, and give direction and feedback and different things that a coach does. Could you imagine that if you were watching a basketball game, and could you imagine like, Uh, Let's take the San Antonio Spurs. They've been successful for a long time. But could you imagine at some point Greg Popovich, uh, and look, regardless of the fact that Greg's old and he's got a beard and he doesn't look like he could probably play ball at a high level right now, I could be wrong, Um, but could you imagine Greg Popovich running out on the court and taking the ball from Tim Duncan uh, in the past or uh, Kawhi Leonard today It's saying, oh my God, dude, Like, just give me the ball. Let me show you how to shoot a three. Let me show you how to D up on this guy. Man, you guys suck at playing basketball. So I'm going to just jump in there. I'm going to show you how to do it. Hey, let me show you how to to guard LeBron. You're not doing it right. I'm going to jump in there and do it. I mean, could you imagine someone doing that? I mean, look, I I love the Washington Redskins football team. I'm almost embarrassed to tell people that I do, but I do. It's, you know, since 82, I've been a Redskins fan and... You know, here you go. We we had some really good times, and now we don't have some good times. But I think of Jay Gruden, the coach of the Redskins. He doesn't look like a super athletic guy. I'm sure he's a smart dude. Sure, he's a a, a good coach. But I, I couldn't imagine Jay Gruden running out on the field and 
telling a receiver, hey, go sit down for a second. Let me show you how to run this pattern. Let me show you how to get off the line from this cornerback. I mean, could you imagine in any sport that you like or appreciate the coach jumping in and saying, oh my God, dude, you guys, you're not doing it right. Or could you imagine the coach just trying to play against another opponent and all their team is sitting on the bench because they can't do it right? Now you can't imagine that because the thought of that actually sounds absurd. Like you literally are thinking that is, that is stupid. That would never happen. That's absurd. The unfortunate thing is, is we do that kind of stuff all the time in business. We do it all the time. We don't maximize the utilization of our own team. We don't create true leverage as a result of that. And we have people who literally are sitting on the bench on our teams waiting to get in the game, but we don't let them in the game because we're too busy playing the game and showing them like, hey, this is how we do it. But the problem is, is people don't learn watching. People learn from doing. So I decided to do some research on team. Like what what does team mean? How would they define team? So a definition I found is that team is a group of people with a full set of complementary skills, or at least you would hope, required to complete a task, job, or project. That's a definition that I found about team. Now, it went on to describe some characteristics of team. And I want to talk about each one of these because I think it'll be helpful for you as I talk about this to kind of you know, visualize your own team and how you work with your own team to decide, hey, am I doing a good job in maximizing my team in these ways? So the first characteristic of a team is that they operate with a high degree of interdependence. Interdependence. So interdependence means that, look, we work among people side by side, but everyone has a goal, but, but they're not working independently. They're not working without other people or in spite of other people. They're working on their stuff with other people as it, as it works together with the leadership's vision and with the other teammates that have their own roles and responsibilities that they're working on. They work with a high degree of interdependence. The problem that I see most business owners in small business Uh, run into is that they have team members who work and operate with a high degree of dependence. And operating with a high degree of dependence means that I don't know how I win. I don't know what my role is specifically. I've never been prioritized my greatest task versus my least great task uh, in the scope of all the things that I could be doing. I don't know how to prioritize my work. I don't have any work boundaries. I don't know what I'm allowed to do or what I'm not allowed to do within the sandbox. In fact, I don't even have a sandbox to play in. I'm just kind of guessing what that looks like on a day-to-day level. And there's a high degree of ambiguity that exists in my day-to-day work. That is working with a high degree of dependence. Great teams operate with a high degree of interdependence. Number two, teams share authority and responsibility for self-management. How many times do you hear someone say, and I bet you've said this too if you've ever run a team, because I know I've said it, um, boy, these guys don't do anything unless I tell them to do it, or uh, they do something and they screw up, or there's no accountability, and you get frustrated with that. I've got to give people authority and responsibility to manage their own work. And look, if that means that someone screws up, someone screws up, that's okay, But I want to give people the ability to self-manage. If we don't give people the ability to self-manage, in my opinion, self-management is a skill that you learn. You're not born with it. 
Um, look, you you can. I've I've learned this with my own kids. You can grow and develop self management by creating an environment where, where self management is possible. Why do my kids come home and do their homework? Because of building self management and not micromanaging that process, but letting them know that their grades and their work is their responsibility. Now, some people listening to this right now would be like, "Dude, you're crazy." I, I would never trust my kids to do that. Now, look, that's a process. My kindergartner, I don't trust her with that kind of level of self-management. But we work on that so that when she gets to third, fourth, fifth grade, she starts to recognize what needs to be done, what's expected of her, and why we do that. We reinforce why kids go to school, why they learn to read, why they learn math, as it pertains to goals that they have. We have kids that want to be veterinarians. We have kids that want to be scientists. We have kids that uh, we have one kid that wants to be a witch. I don't know what they're going to do with that. I don't know what that looks like, but um, we're trying to really fit school into that because I don't really know um, what skills they're going to use. But I tell them at least math. I mean, there's got to be some science involved in witchcraft. I would imagine. So, uh, so our kids want to do all the different types of things. We've aligned their work with their goals, and that's why they do their work. Some of them are really good at that. My younger ones, they have a hard time with that. We're still working through that process. It's the same thing with my team. My team needs to learn self-management. It's my job to help coach and train and develop self-management skills so that they take responsibility and ownership for their work. Now, I think about where I didn't create self-management as an early leader, and I I really struggled with this. I, I had people who would struggle, and I can remember one guy in particular who really struggled as a sales member of my team. And I looked at what he was doing and I'm like, Oh my God, I can fix you. Let me fix you. And instead of allowing him to take responsibility for his own lack of ability and allow me to, you know, help him direct his steps. I stepped right in. I wrote him a prescription. Here's what you need to do to fix it. His results didn't get better. They got worse. He looked at me and said, this was your plan. Your plan didn't work. And I had to take responsibility, unfortunately for my team members failure. Now, if he were a, an A-teamer, he would take responsibility for his own uh, failure or success, but he pointed the finger at me, and I don't know that he was wrong in doing it. I recognized a flaw in my own leadership by not creating responsibility and self-management for my team. It really showed me the importance of putting people in the driver's seat of their own career so that they're driving that. Now, I don't let them go wherever they want. I mean, there's going to be boundaries, right? I mean, if someone wants to sit on the couch all day and watch TV, that doesn't really fit real well into the mission of what our business is about. That's probably not going to work. So it's got to fit within what we're doing and what the mission of the business is. So characteristic of a team number three, great teams are accountable for the collective performance. They're accountable for the collective performance. If I want to be a great leader, if I want to build a team, I've got to hold people accountable. If no one's accountable for the work that they do, they're not going to perform at a high level. They're just not. People need accountability, especially if they have bad behaviors. And I think about this, uh, a great example of this, and I'll just share my own uh, accountability issue from last year. I had, a, uh, I, I had signed up for a relay race called Ragnar. It was a 200-mile race. Uh 12 people, you each run anywhere from 14 to 20 miles over the course of three legs. So some legs, you may have a three-mile leg. Some legs are like eight or nine miles. I had a leg that was up a, uh, a mountain pass called Avon Pass. It was a 1,200-foot uh, incline. 
uh, in elevation over 7.8 miles in at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in June it, uh, up in northern Utah. It was probably about 90 degrees when I ran outside, maybe even hotter. So it's hot, it's hilly, there's a lot of dirt and dust, we're on a dirt road, I'm, I'm climbing up a mountain. Um, I got to be honest with you, it sucked. But I finished it and I did it, but the reason why I was able to do it is I had to create some accountability for me. Now, I'm notorious because I used to run in college, I still think I can run whenever I want to. And in some cases, I can. But in something like that, I, I can't, I, I could do myself a favor by creating the right sort of preparation so that, look, that's still going to be painful, but it could be less painful if I prepare. So I, I created some accountability for myself and I told a buddy of mine, hey, listen, I need to make sure that I work out for, I need to run at least four days a week. If I don't run four days a week, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to map every one of my runs on map, my run. So you can see what I'm doing. He was on map, my run. I said, look, by the end of the week, if I don't do that, you name your price. So he said, Hey, you got to buy me an $80. It was like an $85 bottle of high West whiskey that is only sold up by park city, Utah, which is 40 miles East of salt Lake city. I mean, it's, it's probably about a 40 minute drive where their distillery was for high West is probably about an hour, hour, 15 minute drive. So Every week that I failed, I needed to buy him a bottle of this alcohol that I could only get up the, you know, up Parley's Canyon, going up to Park City on I-80. And I decided, you know what? I don't want to do that. It was the right kind of accountability because I didn't want to spend two and a half hours of my day on a Sunday driving up there. And I don't even know if they're open on Sunday. So it would probably be like a Monday or a Tuesday where I really don't have time for that. It's really inconvenient to get the, the liquor, drive it down and deliver it to him. I knew I didn't want to do that. And it created the right kind of accountability to make sure that I was prepared. Now, in process of preparing for Ragnar, I had also uh, won the lottery for a marathon that my wife and I put into. So that training springboarded right into my marathon training. I created the same level of accountability. But that accountability only needed to be in place for a couple of months because once the accountability was there and I started to create a new pattern of behavior... I was able to run uh, you know, without that high level of accountability because I just was in the habit and rhythm of that, which carried me right through to my marathon and my training for that. Uh, the marathon was hard, but my recovery from the marathon actually was not too bad. I was pretty good within two to three days of my marathon, and that was because of the preparation and the mileage that I put in to be able to run the race. Now, again, the race was hard still. But my recovery was way easier because I was I was prepared at a high level to go out and do that performance. Your team is no different. Your team has uh, it needs to be accountable for the collective perform for performance, whether that be you as a leader, your own teammates. But you've got to create that accountability uh, within your team. Most business owners go wrong with this because they don't have time to hold people accountable and they don't pay attention to what their team members are doing. But I promise you, if you start to pay attention to what your team members are doing, you're going to notice some things that are going on. And I don't care how uh, how aware you, you think you are about these things. If you're not paying attention to that at a very close level, you're probably missing things uh, within your organization. So number four, great teams work toward a common goal and shared rewards. Okay, A team becomes more than just a collection of people with a strong sense of mutual commitment. This creates synergy, okay? The sum of the whole is greater uh, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I almost got that wrong. 
thus generating performance greater than the sum of the performance of its individual members. Okay, So together, we are greater than we are separately. And when we have a high-functioning team, that's what we can say. But a lot of businesses run like a collection of individuals that just try to come together and get things done. Think about Lord of the Rings at the very beginning. How does Lord of the Rings work? First, you've got a bunch of individuals with different backgrounds and different cares and different values and different ways of seeing things and different desires. They all come together, even though they don't want to. And you see as this team starts to function as a team throughout these movies that that team is able to perform better. That team has their back. There's more trust. All these things happen. The whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts that make up that whole. That's what I want people doing. I want people working towards common goals and shared rewards. Now, here's the problem with this. A lot of business owners, and and you may be in this boat, don't have common goals and they don't have any rewards. No goals, no rewards. No fun is what I say to that. That is no fun. I go to work, I like to win. I bet there's people on your team that go to work and they like to win too. They want to know what winning is. What does winning look like? How do I win? What do we get if we do win? This is why I do quarterly retreats. This is why I set quarterly sprints. We go 90 days. We go hard. I make a ruthless commitment to goals. Um, I can be uh, very intense and very goal-focused with my team, which is why I always make sure I celebrate not only sometimes randomly during a week, but I celebrate the quarterly wins so that my team recognizes and understands that they are appreciated and valued for the hard work that they do. I'm going to push hard, but I'm going to reward hard, and I'm going to reward uh, in, in a satisfying and fulfilling way for my team so that they feel like, hey, we're, we're, we did this, we felt this sense of accomplishment, and our goal was rewarded. But most of the time, we don't have goals, so there's no targets. Everyone just comes in, and this is why I set targets, and this is why we're always working on new things, because I don't want my team to feel like working in my business is Groundhog Day. And Groundhog Day is a movie by Bill Murray where every day is the same. He gets up, and and the day just starts over every single day. It's an awesome movie. It's one of my favorites from the 80s, I think late 80s, maybe early 90s, Uh, but really funny movie, but Look, a lot of times our organizations are just like Groundhog Day. It's the same thing every single day. And I guarantee you, look, I don't care who you are. That's boring. I left the corporate world in part because I just felt like it was the same shit every single day. Get on the phone, make phone calls, talk to my team about their performance, blah, blah, blah. Sit in my cube, talk to my boss. Look, no disrespect to any of my any of the people that I worked with. I loved working with the people that I worked with. The company I liked okay, um, but it's just boring. I mean, it was the same shit every single day. And, and then getting promoted was just managing more of that shit on a greater level. And I realized, man, I don't want to do that. And look, I, there was never a time where we were given sort of autonomy or or switch it up to kind of look at new experiences. Very rare. A lot of the days were just the same old thing, and that gets boring. And I had a hard time motivating people that way, But and we did. We, we made it fun. So you can motivate people in that space if you really work towards that. Look, I would create fun games during days. I would create little reward, daily rewards that people could earn on certain days, whether it be scratch tickets for the lottery, 
uh, you know, back in the day, you know, when DVDs and CD, CDs, people still bought those, uh, you know, we would give those out or books that people might like. And sometimes there were books that were corny that people wouldn't like, you know, a Roma, a romance novel, things like that. And then you'd find out who in your office is a closet romance novel fan. Cause they're like, Oh, I'll switch you for that. Um, cause they get really excited about it. So, you know, just trying to create that fun every day. So, you know, how do you create that collection of just share rewards and common goals to uh, to really create that synergy that you're looking for in your office. That is the definition of team. And if you don't have those things, um, think about how powerful your team could be if you had them. And as a leader, you have control over creating that tomorrow. So how do you get your team to operate with a high degree of interdependence? How do you get them to share authority and responsibility for managing themselves? How do you get them accountable for the collective performance? We talked a little bit about that. How do we get people working towards common goals and share rewards? And really the biggest thing there is, is if you don't have common goals and share rewards, start creating the process for what that looks like. Start letting your team know what that that looks like. Get them involved in that process so they're excited about it too. I don't want to give someone a reward that they don't want. Um, that, that, you know, that's not cool. I mean, sometimes people will give a rewards like, Hey, we're going to go to this, uh, seminar that is industry specific. And everyone's like, fine, that's not a, that's not a reward. Um, I don't want to go to that seminar. I don't want to do that. Like that's not a reward. And then, and then we're pissed. Cause we're like, how come people don't want to go to the seminar? I think it's so exciting. Like we, we learned medical billing coding and, and it was so great. I mean, now I know how to code this particular issue that's going on with this person, or I know how to lay this crown specifically this way or whatever it is in your industry. Um, you know, people may or may not be excited about that. Not to say that your team isn't learners or they don't want to learn, but sometimes we give them rewards that aren't really rewards. So Think about how you're doing with team building. Think about the four areas that I talked about. Where can you create some lift in your own team? Where can you be a better leader to clear the room? Look, when your team is performing at a high level, it creates growth. It also creates independence for you from the business. So, you know, I want a team that can function without my presence. And I can only do that if I do these things and really truly build a team. So take a look at your own team. Where can you create lift? Hey, if you know someone who needs some help with team team building and building up team members, please share this episode with them. If you haven't rated the show on iTunes yet, please do me a favor and do that. And if you enjoy the show, sharing it through the social media uh, landscape would be awesome as well. So, hey, thank you again for listening this week. I've got a great interview coming up next week that I think you're really going to enjoy. So stay tuned for that, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the New Work Revolution podcast on newworkrevolution.com. Until next time, take your business leadership to the next level and join the revolution.